Hey everybody, welcome back to the Tattoos with Intention podcast, where we unpack the tattoo paradigm. I'm your host, Mark Nara, and in this podcast, I draw on my 15 years of experience as a tattoo artist. I started out in dingy little biker shop, apprenticing, and my tattoo career has taken me through bustling street shops, into private studios. It's taken me abroad on many travels where I've worked with different artists in different countries, experienced different cultures. And I've been lucky enough to be taken on by a few good teachers, technical tattooists and spiritually adept teachers as well. And from that, I've developed a real deep understanding for the technical, psychological and metaphysical layers that encompass the art of tattooing. In today's episode, I'm going to be having a chat with a a long-time friend now. He started out as a client. His name's Jaguar, and he classifies himself as a therapist, even though he's not your traditional skill set that a therapist would use. And we'll talk about that in this interview. But just a little disclaimer before we start the interview. In the past couple of episodes I've put up, there's been a, a mixed response from people. A lot of people really enjoying the conversations that have been had there. And then a lot of people that have been engaged in them, but have also been challenged. And I just want to say that this particular conversation is definitely full of trigger points. So I'd suggest approaching it with an open mind. And if you're easily offended, or if any of the topics that I mention now that we're going to really pry open are sensitive for you, maybe just give it a miss. So we have a chat and we talk about things simple as identity. You know, what's a real identity? What's a fake identity? That segues us into areas such as transgender and the different pros and cons of that space and what's happening there. We talk about judgment over decisions. We talk about masculinity, what's real, what's fake there as well. We talk about having children, having families. We talk about the COVID period and bugging out and all of the fear-based programs that happen there. We talk about what it is that JAG does with people that helps them in very profound ways. We talk about how tattooing and therapy correlate, what the crossovers are. There's a lot of useful tips there for artists in terms of how to navigate your client's psychological state. So it's a highly useful episode, but that warning's there just because I haven't been framing up the conversations as thoroughly in prior episodes. So I think some people unprepared for some of the provoking that happens in their thought stream have found it a little bit tricky to digest. So just lining your stomach there with some slippery elm, hopefully making it a little bit easier. But enough from me. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Talk to you after. Can you give insight into what it is that you do? Because you do all sorts of things with people, but. Yeah, I get asked this question a lot around sort of categorizing myself in what I do. So I call myself a therapist, but I'm not really a therapist because I don't really buy into those traditional models of therapy. Yeah. I always say about therapy, if it was that good, it wouldn't be around anymore because everyone would have been healed. Mm. But we're in a world where people are more and more mentally unstable and sick. So I don't really buy into those traditional models of therapy. So. I call myself that to give people greater access because I do work in a space that allows a container for shifting of awareness and that produces healing. I don't call myself a healer. Rather, when I talk about, if I can nail it down into one thing, what I do is I help 
people evolve consciously by revealing their blind spots. When the blind spot or the unconscious is brought into the, or the unconscious material is made known, there is a shift in the person's psyche, which creates a dissolution of what was showing up as a pattern before. So people can kind of, you know, interpret that however they want, but it's, I work in the evolution of consciousness. That's really it. Yeah. Yeah. So like therapy, psychology, psychotherapy realm is where people would like access you and meet you, but it doesn't necessarily adhere to that construct. Yeah. So it doesn't know, like most therapy, if I look at a tree, right, most people are just trimming the branches of fear and hurt. Whereas mm. I just go in and rip the thing out at the root. So, <laughs> yeah. And so and they call yeah, me the yeah. emotional pit bull. Right? Yeah. That's yeah. my un informal nickname is the emotional pit bull, which was given to me like years ago. Cause I'm very loyal, can be very affectionate and loving, but I can also be pretty savage sometimes in the way I get to the root and it's quite direct and it's intentional. So people don't need a lot of time with me to get yeah. to the root of what's going on. Yeah. And did you pick that name up in your old field of work when you're doing the other stuff? Nah, my old nickname in my investment world was the wolf, as in the wolf of Wall Street. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. You've evolved. You've evolved. Yeah. Yeah. I've went from like, it's still a dog, right? So as a wolf is still a canine, right? And then it was just a pit bull after that. So I can still be a friendly house pet and not so wild. Nice. Gone from the wild to like the domesticated savage. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm more like my dog, which is an Aussie shepherd. He's just like very loving and sweet and he's just loyal and he's just, there's no issues anymore. So I'm moving more towards that part of my life. Oh, it's good to hear. It's good to hear Jaguar. Okay. So going into past, let's, let's map your tattoos. What, what was the first tattoo you got? Cause I'm trying to like bring a layer of what the therapy realm into the tattoos as well. Okay. So like my first one was I was 15 years old on, on acid in King's Cross in Langley place with the oh. Chinese symbol, the Met criminal. Oh, the one we covered. Mate. Yeah. We buried that one fucking deep, man. It's just good to get rid of that many years later. I didn't realize you were on acid when you got that. Yep. Me oh. and, uh, my mate at the time, Alex Hodko, he got one as well. I can't remember what his one was. I think it was courage. And, uh, yeah, the LSD didn't do me any favors that night. That's for sure. No wonder there was like a black magic spell cast in there. Oh, mate. Yeah. We live and learn. <laughs> we do. It was dark, that one, man. It was yeah, dark. Okay. All right. So there was that one. And then how long from then till you ended up coming in to get some work from me in botany? It would have been 18 years later, I reckon. 15 days. So I was 15. And I'm 40 now, so I would have seen you when I was like 32, 31, 32, so 2014, 15. So yeah, it was a long time. I had really? a few other little tattoos in between there. Like I had a Celtic armband done a few months later, then a dragon on my back. Then I didn't get anything for ages. And then I got the left sleeve, which is a Renaissance painting of St. Michael vanquishing Satan, which was, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but that was done mm -hmm. by a guy named Les Rice. He was a really good quality artist. Yeah, a bit of veteran. Yeah, he is, but he did, did great work and I was happy with the sleeve that he gave me. And that kind of led me on to some more stuff. That was in 2009. Took about a year to do it. Left the whole tattoo thing for a while and then found you, 2014-15. And so from the ones you just said, period between your first one and the sleeve, 
We covered that one on your back. Yep. We covered the one on your arm. And yep. did we cover the armband as well? Yeah. That's all blacked out. Okay. So if you were to think about like your initial headspace getting tattooed, it doesn't have to be from your first one, but let's like think about from that first one to the sleeve and then think about the headspace that you were in receiving tattoos after you came in to see me, which was like, we're saying maybe like a nine or 10 year period. Yeah. And then the headspace you're in now, because we haven't tattooed for a while. It's been like, mm -hmm. oh, at least two years, maybe two years or longer. Um, I got my head done by you. I got wolf's heads on the side of my head 18 months ago, Okay, roughly 18 months. Less. Yeah. I think it was January last year. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Initial headspace when you're getting those first tattoos done, then we went into like quote unquote, the more intentional space, but I'd say like yourself and me, we've already gone through an evolution since then as well. Like probably seeing it very different now. Massive. Yeah. Yeah. So headspace at the start when I was first getting him, I remember like I just, I was the bad boy. Mm. So anything I could do that was defiant in nature. That's what led me to the tattoos. No one in my family's got tattoos. No one in the history of my family has a single tattoo. And I'm sort of got a bodysuit basically that's not quite finished yet. So it was really just to, and it was the same. I had a pit bull as well. Layla was my pit bull for 10 years. And it was all part of this image of looking like the bad boy, right? And yeah, that yeah. was why I started doing it. It was very defiant, very rebellious. And I just wanted to establish myself as individual which is now i can look at that now in hindsight i was largely unconscious at the time around a lot of that but there was definitely a bad boy streak in me which led me to the tattoos at the start and it's like the bad boy image is is it's cool it's appealing right i still definitely. see that today there's so many people getting tattooed because it's cool that's why all of the like the super dark satanic stuff's in tattooing at the moment it's cool I spoke to a tattoo artist the other yeah. day and he's printing full on satanic prints, like Baphomets and everything with his tattoo brand. And I was like, what's with that, man? And he's just like, they just sell like hotcakes, man. Everyone wants to be so trendy right now. It's just literally that. Oh. It's the bad boy image. Yeah. People want it. So then, yeah, I went from that into the sleeve, the Renaissance painting. And I, I almost got that covered up two mm -hmm. years ago, almost, but. I'm now really glad that I didn't because I love Renaissance art. I've been to the Louvre. I've been to Italy, both of those a number of times. That art to me, you know, old cathedrals, Baroque art, um, or I love all that stuff. I oh, think that's gosh. a lot of that's so, such real art to me. And I find that stuff really beautiful. The way that it was done, like Caravaggio, Michelangelo, Raphael, Batista, these sort of artists from the Flemish era and Peter Paul Rubens. I love the meaning and the encoded meaning in them. So that's, I was working in art at the time and that's where it all started to come up. And I love like the Gustav Doré etch, etching work that he did and MC Escher and his surrealist work. So I've always been pulled to these encoded artists that have meaning that you have to figure out, which is what I do in my work. There's a lot of stuff you have to figure out that you can't see. And these mm. paintings and this art really fed into that for me. So. I didn't necessarily want to still be the bad boy when I got the Renaissance painting. Rather, I wanted beautiful art on my body yeah. uh, at the time. And I only got one because I did Les and I didn't really get on so much. There was a bit of a clash of like attitudes and I had a pretty bad attitude at the time. And so did he. 
to put yeah. it simply. <laughs> and so we didn't really get on very well. So it was kind of like one and done, which is a bit unfortunate because I would have liked to, you know, it would have been cool to get my two arms done, but yeah, I was a bit rough at the time. So yeah, yeah. It's played out work. the way it has. And then what made you yeah. want to cover it? What was that stage like? Why did you want to cover it? I think it was more to create symmetry in my body with what we've done because you've done my entire body. And so it's like front torso, back legs from the hips down to the top of the feet, right arm, head, throat, back of the neck. You've covered me, right? So it's, there's just this one outlier there that doesn't really land with the rest of it. And because the right arm is a lot of black and a lot of negative space has been used. And I love the right arm because it looks really cool with a lot of solid black. And I was just like, yep, let's do that. Let's cover it up. But um, no, we tattooed my head instead at the time. So yeah, just, I just don't think I was ready to go for a whole other sleeve while I still have my back open and some unfinished points. Because I think when I moved up to Mullumbimby, when you were living there as well, we did 15 sessions in 18 months or something like that. It was a lot of work. It was heaps. Mm -hmm. And I think I got a little bit worn out by the end and I was like, oh, I just wasn't down for another sleeve at that time. Yeah. Yeah. When you're getting tattooed, you go pretty hard. And I think that's a good way to yep. do it. It's like when you got the fuel in your tank to do it you go as far as you can, yep. but yeah, you need to rest and take stock and let the body heal and process everything. And that, yep. that cycle and undulation is good. I haven't been tattooed for three years and I'm going next month. So I'm looking forward yep. to it, but the rest has been nice as well. That's for sure. Okay. Nice. So yeah, it was like bad boy image. Then it was art. Great. Yeah. I've kind of mapped those things as well. It's like usually before you're tattooed, the threshold, it's the thing that moves you to get tattooed the first time. It's so image-based. It's super yeah. image-based. And then it becomes more like, oh, okay, I'm tattooed. And then you start looking at the artwork. Sometimes you start getting like more meaningful. But so then when we started tattooing, it was more of an intentional tangent. I mean, we were talking about all types of crazy stuff in those first sessions. I can remember upstairs at Botany and I was like, bloody... Cosmic disclosure and aliens and channeling this and bloody what's, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's all, the, right. all the crazy stuff. Yeah. All the like proper crazy yeah, stuff. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Which is I like, remember the cosmic disclosure thing and I was like, this dude's the only dude I know that's heard of this. And it was like <laughs> session one, I think we started talking about it. Yeah. So it was like, we were right on the page from day one, man. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going down the slippery slide of spirituality and all of the new age things, which has yeah, been a bit of a fun ride. But yeah, like your back's still open. There's things that you haven't finished, like legs and whatever. I see everybody's tattoos as just one anyway. So it's like, it's not unusual to be at a stage where things aren't complete. But where are you at with your tattoo now? What's the difference between that time where we've done so much work and how you're viewing it now? One of the things that I really realized in the tattooing space was I liked to put my body through hard things. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've done jujitsu for nine years or something like that. Like I'm not far from black belt, boxing, fighting, all this sort of stuff, you know, hard stuff. And that was part of the tattooing experience as well, was to put myself through hard stuff. It's like, let's face the pain, let's do it. And that was a large part of my life. And over the last 18 months, especially the last 12, my father died earlier this year. And there's been a real softening since then. Not a softening as in like coward softening, but a gentleness has started to come through where that desire to push into pain for pain's sake has largely dissipated and dissolved. And 
now it's more like, okay, I'm sitting on it and feeling into when it actually feels right to start to finish it off. And it'll be soon, like in the next 12 months, probably we'll start on finishing that back. Because if I do it, it's just going to be like, all right, I'll come out to your place and I'll spend five days and do five half days because I don't like getting tattooed more than half a day anymore. And that's my limit and I'm okay with that. Whereas mm. before I'd be like, I've got to push through and get like five hours done or whatever and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, you know, like two hour sessions, three hour sessions, I'm pretty good. That's enough. And yeah. so my mindset now is more about letting the body heal, letting it rest, healing up some injuries I got from jujitsu. I got to have surgery in October on my left knee because I injured it again. And so there's just this kind of rebuilding, recalibrating, looking after myself now instead of continual damage, it's time for restoration. And so being heavily tattooed and thinking through those like different mindsets that you've been in, what would your tip be for someone, A, that doesn't have any tattoos yet, and then B, for someone who's looking at getting large-scale work done? Yeah. So the first thing, someone that hasn't got a tattoo yet. So the way that I did it was like, mine was super intentional. So (laughs) don't do it. No, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, it's rite of passage. It is a rite of passage. Like you find yourself in those moments where you want to quit and you don't quit and you find something else there to keep going. And I think that's important to find your limits. You have to do that, especially as a man. Like you've got to do it. Whatever your limit is, you've got to push into that edge as hard as you can. But what I would say is find a, find the right artist that cares about what you're doing. That's why I won't let anyone else tattoo me except you, right? So that's the first thing to do. Don't do a me and go get on acid when you're fucking don't take 15. Acid. And don't take acid for starters, yeah. <laughs> and don't go and get a tattoo while you're on acid. And don't go into King's Cross into a bikey shop and get it done when you're 15 <laughs> and not knowing what you're doing. Yeah. Like people talk about regretting them and stuff like that. And you stop noticing them after a while. So around that, unless you're getting a Baphomet body suit, chances are you might not regret it. You'll get used to it. And I'd choose the artist first and make sure that the artist cares about what they're doing with you too. That's the first thing I'd say. And then look at it for where it is at that time and go, am I getting this at the moment because it's a fad? Because I did that with some new age iconography that's on me, right? And now looking back, I wouldn't get that again. You're bringing up something that I was going to get your view on, right? So obviously when we get tattooed, you're forming a version or like an identity of yourself. Yeah. You're reinforcing it like yours at the start. It's like bad boy. Then it's okay, cool. Some new age stuff. And now you're in this place where you're starting to see it and you're like, I don't need to try and do that anymore. Yeah, exactly. It's one of the things, and we were talking about this the other week. I've been exploring Christianity, the teachings of Christ, not from a religious dogmatic aspect, like a lot of people Mm. do, but for me, it's a deeply personal experience. It's not something I need to shout from the rooftops. It's not something I need to wear a t-shirt on or anything like that. I talk to maybe three people in my life about it, and I don't mind talking about exploring it, but one of the things I realized is the most deeply religious people are the ones that don't talk about it a lot. Because it's not an identity, it's a real connection. It's a genuine connection. If you look at relationships as an example, the people that are posting it all over online and kissing and can't get enough of each other, that's all an intense fear-based identity relationship. But the ones that truly love each other, they can go, yeah, okay, if you need to go away for a couple of months, go fill your boots and you're not, your life doesn't fall apart without them. 
It's because your identity is not formed in their existence. You know, so these belief systems that form our identity and then need to get reinforced through some sort of mechanism to tell the world, this is who I am. You get past that when you don't need to keep expressing it as much as you did in these previous belief systems. And so, and that's what I found. Like I was at the time, I was like, hey, I need people to know that I'm super spiritual. Some people do it through yoga or always talking about that or whatever. But when you get through all that and there's a more deeply authentic expression, it becomes something that is a personal journey that the world doesn't need to know about, that it's just for you. And so when we go through these ideas relative to the tattoo, I'd say like, how long have you been in that belief system? Is it part of an identity that's something existential to you that you need to belong? So now you need people to know it. And if so, how long? Because if you've only been like that for two years, chances are, if you get a tattoo in two to four years, you might not like it because you'll be a different person. So it's very important to understand what layer of the identity is actually clinging on to the need to reinforce that by marking my body with it. And then sit on that and see if that's actually legitimate for you. And it's not just a phase. Yeah. And, and it brings me into what I was saying last time we caught up as well, right? Even on my end of doing the tattoos for people and receiving my own tattoos yeah. and exploring this, okay, people get tattoos and they're building their identity. This is what they identify with. This is what they want to be seen as. This is what they are currently mapping. But as time goes on, like for yourself, and for myself, we're both in this place where we're like, wow, okay, here's all these different stages of identification and growth that we've gone through, that we've outgrown, yep. we've evolved through them. It's not important anymore. And so the tattoo is changing and the story in relationship to those tattoos is changing. And so the process is actually more about letting go of who you think you are through time multiple renditions to work out who you are. So the tattoo at the end, if you ever get a tattoo that's finished, let's say your suit's done. It's like you've addressed all of these versions of yourself that weren't really you. They were just a stage that have led you to work out who you're not. So you can just be who you are. And then the tattoo at the end is like, oh, okay, cool. So I'm just me now. And this is my tattoo. And that's the journey yeah. that I've been on. So and then each one of those symbols are not going to be like, oh, this is my Manipura chakra and this is for whatever, right? That doesn't really matter. It's like, yeah, I've just got a picture of a wheel on me. Who gives a shit? The more that you feel you don't have something, the tighter you're going to try to hold on to it, right? Mm. So the more you, you don't have something, love, freedom, joy, vitality, the more we're going to try to hold on to that, which represents that externally. This is why relationships fail as well. And so when we're going through this phase, all you can try to do is hold on to the lie. And what happens in the absence of that is the truth emerges. And the truth is who you are, not what you are. And what you are is what forms your identity. I'm Jaguar, I'm a healer, I'm tattooed, whatever. And none of that, that's just all, it's like trying to hold on to water, pick up a handful of water, try to hold on to it. It's so transient and it'll be different in a year or two. But as you start to dissolve that and remove those parts of you, then the truth can't help but emerge. It's like the sun in the clouds. You're not worried about the sun not being there when clouds are in front of it. But the thing is with identity, if you think you're the clouds, the light of who you truly are has difficulty shining through on the other side of it, but it's still there. You're just avoiding it. And that's the truth. Yeah. And who you actually are, like you're saying, it's just, it's always there. Yeah. It's always there. You just got to move things out there. of the way to get to it. When people ask me to describe my work, I use a quote by Michelangelo when he created David. 
everyone said, how did you create such an exquisite representation of man? And he said, I didn't create David. He was already in the marble. I just took away everything that wasn't David. Hmm. Meaning the creation is already there. Your finished product is already there. It's got to remove what's in the way of that. And that is to be revealed. Yeah. And moving all of the layers of identity away is basically just removing conditioning from the world, right? It's like, you're not born with these different ideas of who you are. You're just a baby. See a baby come yeah. out and it's just pure as, and then we start to layer all this stuff onto it and you end up with that big slab of marble, right? Yeah. And so it's like an excavation. And it's funny. I don't think the tattoos are doing this for people at all. I think I just have an alignment where I'm tattooing people and because I'm on the journey of trying to improve myself and remove my artificial layers, I tend to be working with people doing the same thing. And so the tattoos just end up telling that story. You know, so I can read people's tattoos yeah. like yours or whoever's and I go, oh, cool. These are all the stages of Jag or me or Bob or whoever working through who they're not, working through their conditioning, working through their patterns. And it's being recorded and scribed into their skin and it's beautiful, right? There's this amazing yeah. thing that's just happening. And just as easily, I can see people that aren't doing that the world over. You just look at the tattoos and you can read so much in people's tattoos with your layer of understanding all of the psychology you started reading her people's tattoos like a book it's so revealing yeah. yeah it's like you can read into their tattoos the way they cut their hair the way they dress the job they do how they speak how they don't speak how they breathe it's all representative of a conglomerate of environment and this one sort of homogenous unit to take us away from our purity that's the thing so we forget about our purity and you said a good word you know when you're born you're just pure so our state is purity, but we become diluted with the idea of who we think we need to be and show up in the world based on caregivers and parents and teachers and society in order to try to fit in. And then what happens, it's actually a process of rediscovering that. That's the crazy game of it all. It's like people ask me like, Jag, I want to find myself. And I'm like, well, who's trying to find themselves? And they sort of don't really get it. And I'm like, the self is seeking the self, but the self is seeking itself outside of itself. That's why you can't find yourself. So trying to wake up in the morning to try to find your body to start the day, it just doesn't work like that. So as a process of removal, then allows the emergence to come forward and the tattoo journey is part of that process. Yeah. This is a good segue into some of the stuff we talked about earlier, but I think we should um, go into it on the podcast for the public. So the idea of like... If someone comes in and they ask me for a tattoo and I personally don't think it's in their best interest, I think it's improper. Recently, I've had the conversation with a fair few artists, people I've been tattooing where they say that's, it's judgmental. You can't say a tattoo is like good or bad for someone because it's ultimately that's their path, right? And who are you to say it? And, yeah. and I know we're both on the same page here. It's like, I feel completely comfortable making that judgment of an action because I feel like I have a responsibility based on the data set of working with people. But um, what was the language you yeah. used? You, the moral relativity, I think it was. Moral relativism. Relativism. Moral relativism. Yeah. yeah so so like, it's what? like my experience, just my experience. And then it's all subjective. So my feelings are true. And that's not accurate. It's why Rome fell because everyone was just like doing whatever the fuck they wanted. Yeah. And it's like in terms of identity, that's what we're talking about here too, right? It's like, there's a true identity. It's pure. It's who you are. And then there's all the identities that you think you are. 
that really are keeping you yeah. from accessing that, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's saying that it's not your position. You're in a duty of care and a position of trust, right? And usually the people that say that are the ones that preach tolerance, but they don't tolerate you if you don't tolerate them, which uh -huh. is the antithesis of the whole message, right? And it's important for people to stand for what is true and what's right. And our feelings aren't facts. I do this all the time with people. If you go back in your history, so there's bad choices and then there's wrong choices. Okay. So a bad choice is going to come with the emotional weight of resentment or regret. Resentment is towards someone else. Regret is towards themselves. Both are usually mired in some sort of anger or disappointment or bitterness. This is a bad choice. A wrong choice is a mistake that you've made that you then see as an opportunity to learn, which comes in the absence of an emotional weight attached to it. Okay. So when we look at a bad choice, what is happening with that, this is where every single time go back in your history and every single bad choice you make will be because you will have trusted your feelings instead of your logical mind, because you will have been reactive, overwhelmed with emotion, and you've made a split decision, a long-term decision in short-term emotional state. And then because it comes with regret or resentment, it's because you trusted your feelings. Feelings are not facts. And so when we're saying something's not good or not bad, then we don't have to be responsible. And that's what our society is basing everything on now is that no one's responsible for their own shit. Everyone wants to blame someone else. And I think it needs to go back to a much more disciplined, stoic type of Aurelius kind of empire that happened before. And what this produces is nice guys, which just say yes to everything. But nice men are yes men in a world that fucking needs to be told no. And so when we're standing for the no, that's really important because that is based on morals. So moral relativism is there's no morals. It's all subjective. And I just look at things and go, okay, cool. This is how I'm feeling right now. I'm going to honor that. And we see that in society about the feminist movement, trying to make men into women and be like, oh, I want men that feel more and trust your feelings and how are you feeling? And it's, that's not going to get shit done when World War III hits, because I'm not going to want to get up and go fight the war. I'm just going to want to roll around and wallow in my feelings. So back to what you said, like being in a position of trust and being an authority, you have a duty of care and responsibility to make a choice under pressure. And that is essential to a healthy society. Yes. There's the responsibility factor that I just, I can't not look at. You know, I just yeah. can't bring myself to validate something that I see as, let's say, instead of saying bad, let's just even just say wrong. It could be a wrong choice for you to get this, might not, but I'm not going to facilitate a wrong choice for you. And I think all tattooists have a responsibility yeah. depending on their own set of morals on what they will say yes or no to, basically. I agree. And I think that's a really important thing because that's integrity. It's having integrity. And so you're saying you can pay me, but this, it doesn't seem right to me. And if it doesn't seem right, then I'm likely going to produce a wrong outcome. Right and wrong are very real. That's why they exist. And so it's important to honor that. Yeah. I found it's important for me too. To honor if I think I want to do something for someone for my own means. And I'm guilty of this. I've done it in the past. And I think like most artists probably are. Where you want to tell you something just because you can say that you've done it. And it gives you a little bit of like rapport online or something like you've done this cool tattoo or you've tattooed this person or whatever. And so now I say to people, I don't actually want to tattoo you. I'm happy to tattoo you. 
but at the same time, I'm not going to convince you to get tattooed and I don't want you to convince me to tattoo you either. It just, it actually has to be right. Can't be wrong. So I'm leaning into that, but I'm just getting so much pushback. That's why I'm talking to you about it and putting the conversation out there. It's especially in this space where it's like intentional tattoos and everyone seems to have a bit of a spiritual inclination linked in with their tattoos, which is great. I'm all for it. There also seems to be a lot of this gray mindset. You can't do black and white. Like people are offended. Like, oh no, Mark, can't say that's wrong. You know, you know, who are you to say that? It's interesting. You're getting a lot of pushback of people that say there's no right or wrong, but then they're saying you're wrong for saying that something's wrong. Well, that's how it feels for me. I'm feeling judged. And what they're saying is you're judgmental. But they're judging you for that. Yeah. That's a judgment. It's like what I was saying before with a person that I know, she said to me, she goes, why is it that you always have to be right? I said, well, that's you wanting to be right about me always having to be right. So you're doing the same thing. You know what I mean? This moral relativism, if it was that solid in the way that they lived, that everyone has their experience and you can't say that's right or wrong, they wouldn't even be having that conversation with you. So it's not actually from a place of true integrity that they're coming from, because if it was, they wouldn't even mention it to you. They're just like, you have your experience. They'd let the person have their experience and they'd have their own experience. I'm with you. Yeah. Well, I've been trying to find a place of like trying to listen. I try to listen to everything that gets put in front of me as well. I'm not just reactive and just balking at it and dismissing what people say. It actually, I'm quite porous to it. It comes in, I go, oh, why is this coming up? Especially more than once. I need to look at it. What is it? And so I'm going, where am I okay to make a judgment? Because it's like judgment is one of the things that helps me make all of my decisions in life. You need to be making judgments. Like I can judge that pot's too hot to touch with my hand. You know, it, would be, it wouldn't be sensible well, not to follow that judgment. Yeah. Well, there's a little bit of a difference there, right? Because that's a decision. Okay. There's a difference between a decision and a judgment, right? So a judgment has usually some sort of moral implication, whereas a decision doesn't. So if you just look at what you're doing as a decision, then you remove the potential for a moral judgment on that. What did it say? Jesus said it the best, where it was like, why do you judge the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a plank in yours? So when we're looking at it, you're making a decision. The decision requires someone to be decisive and your decisions are going to be based on something, usually on values, which are independent and morals, which are social, right? So there's the chain that goes down around decision-making. So There's morals, which are social, and then there's values, which are individual or independent. Then there's needs, which are personal. And then there's boundaries, which are formed on a common theme between those three or self rights, as I was talking about before, and then consequences have to happen as a result of those being violated. And so when we're looking at that, the difference between say, putting your hand on a pot, like, you know, that if you do that, it's going to burn. So your decision is, I don't want to burn myself. And what you're making a call on is a decision to do the same thing because you don't want to get burnt by making the wrong decision where you know the potential outcome because you've got enough experience to weigh that up to say, I've been here enough times, I've got 15 years worth of experience and this right now isn't what I want to do. And so it's not just about saying it's good or bad. You're not disciplining a child. It's a call based on an extensive backlog of integrity and history of making calls where you probably have done it against your better knowing only to have the outcome produced that you're now decisive enough to know that you should avoid. Yeah, completely. 
You've said it really well. And, and that's, that is where I'll land with a lot of these decisions. I've been there. I've done that. And a lot of the time it's like, because what the person is saying and then what they want to get tattooed, I've already seen play out and they're not congruent. So you're saying this, yeah. but then this tattoo here or for this reason or whatever actually isn't congruent with what you're saying. So it's not going to move you on a trajectory through time that aligns with what you're saying. A lot of the time it lands there. That's intelligence, right? You're using your intelligence to make a smart call. I was working with a woman on the weekend and there were a couple of things that I needed to bring to her awareness. And I said, I'm not going to do that right now because I just don't feel it's going to be the right, it's not the right time to make that call because the awareness would have been too big for her to handle given the state she was in. So it's the same thing. You make a, it's called a judgment call for a reason, but not judgment based on good or bad judging the situation based on best outcome for all involved. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe I need to use some different language because I've simple me, I've been using good and bad as the language and I've been exploring these quite divergent paths around getting tattooed and not wanting to lead people down one of them, which I'd say yeah. is degenerative of like I've been using good. So yeah. Okay. The most appropriate is a good reframe for right. This feels like the most appropriate cause of action, or this doesn't feel like it's appropriate or it's fitting right now based on where we're both at. Saying I, the same thing or bad, just in a better way. Yeah. And someone could still get offended, right? It's like, that's still going to be a potential outcome for someone if you say no. And like you said, one of your sayings, no is a complete sentence, right? 100%. And you have every right to say no to anyone at any time. That's what I was talking about, boundaries versus self-rights with you in our previous conversation. I don't like the term boundaries because to someone that's abusive may want to challenge that and break that. Someone that's domineering is going to want to challenge that and see if they can bend you. Self-rights are different. Self-rights are you have a right to feel safe. You have a right to a self-sovereignty, a right to self, to be treated with dignity and respect, a right to say no and change your mind at any time, and a right to not have to justify that to anyone. And these self-rights are like, this is how I live. And I don't need to explain myself to you. Yeah. If we were to think of a more overarching system of rights for a tattooist, what do you think like a healthy one would be? Not using the word boundaries, but to help them to discern what is and isn't appropriate, what they should be saying no to. And we just go off what's true and what's not true. Yeah. I don't know, to be honest, because I'm not a tattoo artist. It's a hard one for me to answer. Yeah. Drawing off like your own tattoos, yeah. right? If we think about that, it, I guess we're leaning into the first tattoo advice a little bit as well, but on the end of yeah. the tattooist, it's like there's inbuilt things that you can just call that aren't good for someone. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, what emotional state is the person in? Why are they doing it? Do they want an inverted pentagram over their heart, you know, or on the top of their head or, you know, like what was that guy, little swastika or whatever that, that oh, dude yes. was a little oops, something like that. Yeah. I mean, pulling someone like that along and getting your head tattooed, getting your crown tattooed while watching porn or something like that. That's hectic. You know what I mean? And so there's a duty of care where it's like, what state is this person in? And is this going to be a good long-term option? I mean, we were going to do work together when I first got into this and you were tattooing people and people were having trauma releases. Yeah. So what state is the person in? Do they seem fragile? Are they all over the shop? Are they committed? Are they, 
you know, that's that kind of discernment, right? Discernment mm -hmm. that you use around if you're going to tattoo them and if it feels good. I know when I'm going to work with someone straight away. I'll know. I'll be like, this person's not going to go ahead with it. They're wasting my time. Or this person will commit. A woman today, it was funny when I did a, I did a discovery call with her and I knew that she was going to pay, then she was going to ask for a refund. I knew it. And that's exactly what happened within a week. Yeah, right. And so I know, I just know there's an intuitive sense to it. There's, there's people that aren't solid. And so it's like those where you have to sort of use your own intuitive sense to be able to pick up on. And that's kind of, it just comes down to discernment. Be discerned is the advice. Yeah. It just takes time to develop it, right? You got to map all these yeah. different things. I'm in a similar place when someone reaches out, it's like some of the littlest giveaways and I just go, okay, this person, this is what's going to happen for them, or they're not going to get tattooed or they're going to cancel or whatever it happens to be, or I need to say no now, or I need to tell them right now that I'm not going to be able to do the tattoo that they want, but I'm happy to tattoo them yeah. if they're not attached to yeah. their idea or, and I can draw very clear lines in front of them that they then have to look at and cross or not cross. And I talk to younger tattoo artists or I guess artists that just haven't developed the discernment. And they get yeah. caught in all of these sticky situations. So they're like, oh my gosh, this happened, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, you didn't know that was going to happen before you booked them in, or you didn't know that was going to happen before you tattooed them. And there, yeah. there isn't the awareness around it. Awareness so, is the most powerful tool we have. If you're not aware of something, you're unconscious to it, which means you repeat something again and again and again, and this forms a pattern. So the whole game is to bring the light of awareness to who we are. I think that's what this is all about. Evolve consciously, bring the light of awareness through experience and acknowledgement to events. And what happens is people want to blame outside all the time, but you're the common theme in your life. Everywhere where you go, you've got your problems, right? No one else, no one's bringing them to you in a little shopping cart, dropping them off at your door and going, here you go, Mark, here's some problems for you for the next couple of weeks. No one's opening up the top of your head and pouring in a little jar of anger or love or whatever. No, it's all self-generated. And yeah. so awareness is the tool of analyzing something and saying, okay, what can I get from that? Why did that happen? And being inquisitive. And that's where you become a more advanced human being because you realize that what you're looking at, what you're doing, your interactions, your patterns, your thoughts, your feelings, your behaviors, your results, and your experiences are all something that you're generating for your own evolution. And so when you get an artist, it's aware of the mistake. If the mistake keeps happening, if they're not aware that they're the common theme, they're going to keep repeating that until they get that message. That's so interesting. I've literally had the same result in terms of like people coming to me with tattoos they need fixed from the same person. It's almost like the same thing plays out multiple times. They've got to see that it's them. So we did a couple of tattoos and therapy sessions with people when I was back in Marrickville. Yeah. There was, um, Scotty and Dave. I think that's Scotty and Dave. We didn't do any others. Hey, don't think so. No. Yeah. I think it was just those two. That was a, that was an interesting little exercise. Hey, so for people listening, me and Jag were like literally both doing sessions with the same person. So someone would be like sitting down with Jag and working through whatever it was that was their priority to look at. And then paralleling that we'd be doing some tattoo work to help them uh yeah basically acknowledge it and record it just like tattoos are always doing we stopped doing that because i moved i think covid hit mate freaked out just bugged out 
Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> Can you think of anything in terms of revisiting that? For people getting tattooed where you think therapy might be useful in conjunction with their tattoo? 100%. It's like, I, well, I got to be careful with that actually. Normal be therapy, careful. no, because it just, you're sitting there talking about your problems and the more you talk about a problem, you just reinforce the problem. Yeah. You know, stories are a thing and we've spoken about stories before. I had a chat with a woman that's a friend of mine up here and she'd been divorced for three and a half years. And she's still stuck in the story mm. and she's driven people away from her business because of it, friends, all sorts of stuff. She was telling me about it. I said, can I give you some advice? She was sure. I said, stop talking about it because now it's become a reinforced identity and that's going to keep playing out. So if you keep going to therapy, that's just talk therapy, you will reinforce that problem that I'm the victim. Everything's so difficult. The world's against me. All these simple things, right? With me, it's the other way. So you might be getting or wanting a tattoo based on a certain idea of the person that you think you are. And what I always say in my work is I'm not here to help you. I'm here to get rid of you. Meaning like that part of your identity, well, let's get rid of that and see what shows up. So working with me could be very beneficial because you might end up wanting to get that Baphomet tattoo and then realizing you're a fucking idiot for wanting to get that. And then getting something that's a little more appropriate that you won't regret later on in life yeah. you know that you won't yeah. walking with demons attached to you and hurting people because of what you've tattooed on your body yeah yeah so funny you know so it definitely can work it can definitely you know i dismantle people's trauma and from anything from sexual trauma to really deep damaging psychological stuff for people so the idea of who they think they are at the time working with someone like me to unravel that could end up in a very different place for what they would get for what that represents because it'd be more honest yeah i'm with you and it's that book that you told me about the body keeps the score i think yep. that feeds into this too it's like you are you're getting a tattoo and it is traumatic you're like locking something into the skin and so if your story is not going to be beneficial to you and you're locking it in with that tattoo it's going to have an yep. impact it's better to have less of a story there, you know, that all the story needs to be that I don't know who I am right now. I want to find out. I want to better myself. The idea of um, ripe and ready to rot instead of green and growing. Like a lot of people think yeah. they've reached the pinnacle and they want to get a tattoo to represent that. And then I sit there and go like, you're 25. You're not your most enlightened self. So how about it? Your brain's not even finished developing. Yeah. Yet. Yeah. Like I'm on that <laughs> journey and this is going to remind yeah. me where I was at when I was 25. So let's not do yeah. something that's so concrete that you can't reframe it later and have a little giggle. But yeah, hundred percent. And that's, yeah, that's really accurate. Cause I'll get to that in a sec, but I was working with a woman recently and she left a partner and he was 28 and I was like, you're with a boy. He's still a boy. A 28 year old is still a boy. And there are some 28 year olds out there that are really advanced. But that doesn't change the biology. Your brain hasn't finished developing. So mm. you can act whatever way you want. But I actually say this, you know, I mean, in other circles that I'm part of, they believe getting married really young is really good. I don't agree with that, especially as a man. I think a man should wait till he's 35 because if you get married when you're 21, chances are by the time you're 35, you'll be a very different human being. You'll have kids get divorced and all the rest of it. And in the current shape of society, I personally think a man should get married closer to 35 
go travel, get your shit together, get your purpose on point. It's like, I haven't been married. I don't have kids. I'm 40 and I'm so ready for it. And I'm in the best position of my life. Mm-hmm. And now I've got time. I make a ton of money. I'm financially set. I'm good. Right. I've unraveled a lot of my childhood wounding and I could now provide an amazing life where I could take care of a woman, kids, financially only work one hour, two hours a day, maybe. So I've got the time to be tentative to them as well. So that could be a really healthy and beneficial relationship. Now, if I'd done that when I was 22 or 23, I probably, I'd have a 20 year, an almost 20 year old kid that I would have fucked up completely because I was still fucked up at the time and I didn't realize it. So it's the same thing in making big decisions when you're really young. It's like the older you get, the more you think, you know, the more you realize you don't know. But when you're really young, the less, you know, the more you think, you know, right. So you go and get a degree and you think, yeah, that's it. I'm qualified for the world. I'm like, well, the freight train's still going to hit at some point. Which it always does. Yeah. Yeah. Another good segue there. So I'm always talking people out of getting tattoos, especially first tattoos and youngsters. I'm always talking to older folk and saying, yeah, send your kid to me. I'll probably talk them out of it. And I don't think you should get tattooed till you're 30 for the same reason. You know, not that tattoos are like totally unfixable or like you said, you can reframe it or cover it or do whatever. But people are making some pretty irreversible decisions around their identity at young ages at the moment. Not just coloring their hair. Gender. Gender. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's full the on. The gender thing. The gender thing. I mean, you can't get a tattoo until you're 18. You can't start drinking until you're 18. You can't start driving until you're 16, I think it is. Yet you can change your, choose your identity at five. I mean, it's mental illness. It is. It's mental illness. And it's, gender dysphoria was listed as a mental, a psychiatric mental illness. It was. And um, if we look at that from that perspective, kind of come full circle around you saying, no, this isn't good for you, right? Those people that are saying that's a judgment would be the same people, maybe, that would support a five-year-old saying, I want to start going on, you know, certain drugs and hormone changes and puberty blockers because I'm having a phase. So it's like, when I was growing up, man, like if you'd said, what do you want to be? I'd be a fucking Ninja Turtle. And I would have been Michelangelo from the Ninja Turtles. Well, that phase lasted all about one year, two years. And then I probably would have been a Thundercat or Optimus Prime or something like that. I grew out of that and I didn't make any long-term decisions around that. And so relative to that, next to the identity, it's like, don't make long-term decisions in short-term emotional states. You don't even start to become conscious until you're seven. Prior to Mm -hmm. that, you're a bumbling little ball of purity that should be respected and honored for all its experiences. And I mean, you know, this, you've got two kids that are under seven and I've been in a partnership for three years with three kids that were under seven. Mm -hmm. And so you just got to let them have their experience, right? But not allow for the madness. It's fucking madness, man. It's madness. And I don't mind speaking up against it because I think it's, I think it's atrocious. I think it's absolutely atrocious that parents would transition children when they don't even have their identity. They've got a duty of care. Yeah. You know, they have a duty of care and I think it's absolute madness and it shouldn't be allowed. If you're an adult and you want to go and identify as a a woman, if you're a man and you've gone through a lot and you're in your twenties or your thirties, I would even say, wait till you're 30. If you want to do it, I don't care if you're an adult in your thirties and you want to identify as a water cooler or a packet of peanuts or a a dog. I don't care. Right. Because underlying that will be some sort of mental illness that had been around for a long time anyway, but robbing children of the innocence of who they are. Think about this. I use this as an example. 
Divorce creates trauma in people. I've worked with thousands of people now. Divorcing when a child is young creates a host of problems for the child when they get older. Yeah. Imagine the wave of trauma that's going to come through for the parents that allowed them to chemically castrate their child. Imagine what's going to come back in 10, 20, 30, 40 years. It's going to be a nightmare. Yeah. Absolute we, nightmare. We just don't know, do we? We no. don't know what it, we can say. You can definitely forecast that it's going to be pretty full on, but it hasn't happened before. Yeah. This is like quite unique to now. Well, actually, most civilizations at the precipice before their extinction, they become obsessed with gender. So before the collapse. Before the complete utter collapse into chaos, gender is the main thing. I can't remember any quotes on where that's from, but I did hear it. Rogan was talking about it with a doctor or something. And most societies collapse when they become obsessed with reversing their genders. Yeah. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe it's a mud flood that's going to happen or something like that, or they release Satan from the pit. Who knows? But you know, who knows, mate? we'll find out. Yeah. Or blue things will come yeah. down, something like that. But yeah, you're right. So the magnifying glass for me is over their children and what is safe and not safe, what's good and what's bad. And it does, it circles back to having the discernment and having a responsibility and when you should be saying no to something. Like, you said you would have identified as uh, Michelangelo, the Ninja Turtle, right? I, I will not tell yeah. you a blue mask on your face so that you can affirm yeah. that identity, right? At all. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I think it's a safe one. If you're, if you're an adult, I agree as well. It's like you can be trans or gay or whatever it is. And it's like, if you're cool, if I'm having a one-on-one -on -one interaction with you and everything's all good, it's like, you're all good. And I can understand, I'm actually more curious about it when I'm spending time with people, like I've got a lot of friends and clients that identify that way. And I'm so curious and not in an invasive way, but you know, getting tattooed is pretty intimate. So I usually go pretty in depth and hear people's stories, right? And it usually makes sense how they've arrived in that place, why that is their form, why that is their identity. And I go like, totally, I get it. You identify as this, or you're going through this because this is yeah. your story and it makes sense. So in that case, mm -hmm. who am I to say you shouldn't be there, right? But like yeah. you said, when the kid hasn't even finished developing their own consciousness, they're not functioning at that capacity. It's like yeah. duty of care, duty of care. And if you're, if you're disavowing that that's the case, it's, yeah, you just, you're not safe, basically. 100%. As a parent, and I'm not one. But I'd like to think that I've kind of got thousands of children with the people that I've helped because I've unwound their trauma and programming and whatever. Your number one duty as a parent is to protect your child and to reduce the amount of trauma that they're exposed to. That's your role is just you're a caretaker. Your caretake, it's to take care, not to put them in harm's way, you know? And so I just really want to make sure that I'm in integrity here and clear. I'm not saying about your pronouns or it's not a, a thing out against the LGBTQ community because they've kind of lumped them in with that. And I know gay people that are like, we don't want this. So yeah. it's kind of lumping it into this one sort of rainbow party that is pulling everyone in that doesn't want to be involved in it. If you're an adult, make your decisions. I know gay people, I've got gay friends, nicest people I've ever met. It's not that somehow because they're gay, they're not going to be nice. It's not that. This has nothing to do with them. It is a parent that is allowing their child to make the decision based on their gender which I am 100% against. And yeah. I have no problem calling it out. I, 
there was a guy up near where I live that was like allowing his kid to choose his gender when he's old enough. And I'm like, you're fucking irresponsible. Shouldn't be a parent. Shouldn't be. Absolutely not. You're, that means that you're allowing your child to be the parent and make the choices. It goes against being a parent. Yeah. Yeah. And also calling out the practitioners, you know, so like that's where I'm coming from with the tattoo thing, the yeah. practitioner, the person that's actually carrying out procedures, or if you're the, yeah. the psych or the counselor that's not providing options. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I was going to say, I just, maybe we should have a glass of water and Get, get rid of the spice that's in our mouth and move on to something else. But no, it's not <laughs> cool off. I'll grab my ice pack. No, I mean, yeah. I have this conversation online a lot with people. I'm reasonably outspoken in certain areas because I do an extensive amount of research on it. I don't go in with a confirmation bias that I need to prove this wrong or anything like that. I look at it and anything that's in mainstream should be treated with the utmost caution because there's always an agenda behind it. These agendas that play out, it's, they're all the same. They're all the same. They're just a different, it's an invisible enemy. It's always invisible. The war on terror, COVID, right? Some sort of disease. It's always invisible where it's like climate change. You can kind of justify it, but it's always invisible. Mm. Always. You can't see it. The threat's always there. It keeps people in fear. The next thing will be aliens, 100%. Fear program. 100%. Just big, just big fear program. Yeah, the alien thing might happen. I haven't been keeping my finger on the pulse at all. Yeah, I don't really keep my finger on the pulse anymore either. You know, I was talking to a mate about a common mate we have, and he's very much find a BRICS country, which is B-R-I-C-S, which is about the gold standard. And I'm just like, fucking don't care anymore. Yeah. I've still got tins of food from when yeah, we were hanging food, out. Mate. I went into, yeah, <laughs> I went into prep mode hard, you know, I've still yeah. got tins there and I'm like, okay, cool. I thought we were done. And it's just like, mate, it's going to play out the way it's going to play out. Right. That's, God that's... will have a hand in it all. Yeah, that's an interesting one for us to like, just have a little reflect on and, and think about what do you think was going down in terms of the survival instinct that kicked in then? Cause it's like, it was extreme. Self-preservation. Self-preservation. Yeah. Self yeah. Beer programs were active. We'd come together, me, you, a few other people. And we we're like, right, we've got to survive this. And it was just survive. And it's like, now I'm like, we'll survive until we don't survive. It was more than a few people. I'm like, I reckon like world over, man. It's like people just started going, oh, they were like prepping for end of days during COVID. Oh yeah. I mean, where we were hanging out, you know, catching oh, up yeah, yeah, every yeah. day, smoking cigarettes, talking about there's going to be bodies in the street in six months and all that kind of stuff, thinking it's mm -hmm. going to be zombie land or something. And they do the double tap where they hit the zombies in the head twice, something like that. I'm thinking, <laughs> right, this is me. We're on, man. We're, we're Mad on. Maxing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're on. You know, and then I'm like buying $400 worth of tins of food because I don't want my transaction to be tracked. And then some black <laughs> helicopter is going to fly over us. It's like, fuck, man. You know, yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, man. Yeah. But I know I was talking to my mate about this and he was talking about the BRICS country and he goes, oh, yeah, maybe Scotland, maybe this, maybe that. I said, mate, there's nowhere to hide. Yeah. They're trying to bring it everywhere. Like you're going to end up where you end up and whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Live your life until then. Do as much as you can. Enjoy your life. So when you get there, if it's in 10 years or 20 years, or maybe it never happens, you go, oh, cool. I've just been fucking surviving on something in fear and in sympathetic arousal for 10 years that I didn't need to. So I've largely gotten rid of all that, man. I'm sort of like just living life going, if that happens, okay, we'll figure it out. If I need to move, I'll move. I'll know at that time. I'm not planning for 
anything big or bad to happen, I trust God will intervene when necessary. That's what I think. That's what I believe. And we're all going to die anyway. So I want to try and live as, as big as possible until then. I'm still going to enjoy my cars. I'm still going to enjoy my Rolexes and my Mercedes and my fucking sports cars and all that because I have fun with that. I don't want to not enjoy the next 10 years. And if everything's going to end by 2030 and the rapture happens and Satan's loosed upon the world, nothing I can do about that. Fuck, Man. you know, I want to have fun and, and at least enjoy my life and create a sense of purpose and meaning and love and community. So I tap out going, sweet, this is the end. And I had a good time. Yeah, good message. Good message put out there. I'm the same, man. I burnt all the fuel in that lantern and I'm glad I did because it's like, I wouldn't be where I am yeah. right now. I love yeah. where I'm living and what I'm doing and how things look. And that's all because of the burn down that happened during that period. But now I'm like, oh, I live out in the middle of 5,000 acre property and I, I need better internet so I can have these conversations. What am I going to do? <laughs> so I'm like, that's about your biggest worry now. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I'm there, you know, I'm going like, I want to, uh, similar to yourself, like, how much can I engage with what's happening in a really beautiful way, in a good way and make beautiful situations unfold up until I can't because I'm done or it's done. Until it falls. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's it. We were talking about this the other night. I'd 100% bring a child into this world right now. 100%. No question. Whatever. Like if I was in the right situation and like, let's have three kids in the next three years, I'd be like, yeah, let's do it. Create a little tribe. Like, yeah, why man. not? Yeah. If I didn't turn the news on, if I wasn't listening to the news, this, I'd be in paradise. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, for anyone that's stuck with us on this, we're just going to keep like popping little bubbles in your mind here. It's like a big identity thing that I've seen come in, especially with youngsters, right? Young men, young women is that it's selfish to have kids or like, I don't know if I want to bring kids into this world or like, there's just so many stories that are inhibiting families, young families starting. And so for me, you know this already, but I'll share it. It's like, we got two kids, we got the third on the way. And, uh, it's been four years between children. And the only reason we didn't have one sooner was during that period, during that fear program and burning that lantern and preparing for the end of days. It's like, oh, we don't want to bring a kid into this world. Now that we're through that, now that we can see the program for what it is and we're engaging life again, it's like new life is good life. We just want, yeah. I just want to have more kids. I would have been happy if we were having twins. We're yeah. not, but like, bring it on. And at yeah. the end of the day too, none of us would be here if that wasn't just the bottom line. That's the given. That's actually your reason. That's your purpose of being here. It's to like experience 100%. creation firsthand with your partner yep. that you're devotional to. It's people saying it's selfish to bring a child into this world. That's the most fucking selfish thing you can say, right? It's so you're not bringing them in. Because you're so selfish not to have them so you can live your life and do whatever. And Hey, I've been selfish. I've, you know me really well. Like I've lived a very good life. I've lived a first class lifestyle for a long time. I'm very successful. I'm on my own. I live very comfortably, but I'm happy to have children and bring them into the world. But saying if I were like, nah, it's selfish to bring it in. I'm like, why? So I can enjoy my bachelor lifestyle and not commit to anything greater than myself. That's not what we're supposed to do. It's like, Progeny is the way, like continuing the line, continuing the bloodline, the joy of creation. That's what the whole point of this is. It's like, you know, C.S. Lewis said it the best where he said, all jobs exist to support the most important job, which is that of the homemaker. 
Now, I probably wouldn't use the term homemaker, so that was more generational, but it's to support the mother to raise the children. Now, we're disposable, man. That's the thing. We're the disposable gender in the male, right? We're disposable. That's why we go to war. It's why we're built differently. We're meant to fight. We're meant to hunt. We're meant to kill. That's mm. it. So when we're in that space, it's like that's why society is trying to get men to feel more. Our nervous systems are twice as dense as women, so we can disconnect when we need to kill and switch on, which makes us better decision makers under pressure. So we don't get emotional. Now that's like a muscle. If you become more emotional and you're always emotional and crying and putting your little head in your girl's lap all the time because you've had a bad day and someone's bullied you at the office or they took your fucking lasagna out of the fridge or whatever at your workspace and they don't have a safe space or whatever for you to get upset about something because someone's using your red biro or whatever life-changing incident is going to happen. You're going to become unstable and unable to perform when the pressure hits. And so you'll run like a coward. And men like that and people like that can't commit to families. They don't want to have children because the weight of that responsibility, they'll fold like a deck chair. Yeah. Absolutely fold. Yeah. Yeah. And so they create the narrative that they have some higher purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Which is all about the self. It's the self. Like I'm self-absorbed. That's what the new age leads people into is it's all about the self. Self, yeah. self, self, me, 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 self, self. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to loop back now, that's one of the markers for me that I see when someone is wanting to get tattooed, yeah, and create an identity. If it's too self, that's usually a path that's degenerative. So it's not that you're saying no, because sometimes you need to map those things, right? Like we've been talking about. But generally, the process through time as an artist especially if you're working on repeat with someone, is to move them away from that story of self. You already are you. Your purpose yeah. is already endowed in you. You don't need to like yeah. find it and dig it up and make it and hashtag it and send it out there. It's like you came here, you are who you are, and you're here to do what you're meant to do. Like you said, if you're a man, it's like fight, kill, provide, reproduce. That's powerful stuff. That's powerful stuff. That's actually what you're here to do. And just so learn to do that well. And harness that, you know, it's like the whole toxic masculinity thing. And it's the absence of masculinity is what's toxic. It makes mm -hmm. men, you look at men that are toxic. So they're angry, rageful, all that sort of stuff. That isn't natural to the masculine frame that's healthy. The masculine frame that's healthy is stoic, grounded, calm, the mountain, right? So when they're overly emotional, when you go to pubs, why men fight is because they drink and guess what spikes? Estrogen. So when a man's estrogen is too high, he gets emotional and then he gets angry. So he's not grounded in a solid masculine frame. So if we're looking at that of masculine or feminine attributes, that a man, when he's toxic, he's actually been feminine. One of the biggest cons out there is that a man has to integrate his own masculine and his own feminine before he can become masculine. You want to talk about a social gaslighting? That's it. It's like. You transcend your psychology, your boy psychology into man psychology. Tell me when you get there that you need to integrate your fucking feminine and we'll see what happens. Because no men that I know that uh, have transcended boy psychology are sitting there going, I need to wear a dress and rub myself in coconut oil and head to ecstatic dance on a Friday to get all my emotions out. Doesn't work like that. When you get into the man psychology, it's I want to have a family. I want a wife. I want to hunt. I want to fight. I want to be calm and powerful. That's what a man wants to do. They don't want to sit there and talk about their feelings. They just get on with it. 
Nice. And so we'll use that to springboard into some of your offerings as we wrap it up, mate. So you're doing yeah. men's containers. Cool. That's one of the things that you put yeah, yeah. at the moment. Or are they all full? No, I'm doing one that's starting in uh, this week in a couple of days. I'm not sure when the next one will be. So that's going to be all around undoing the social programming, understanding the social programming. There'll be a, some info and programming around sexual dysfunction, which is a big one that's going on. The difference between leading by inspiration versus ruling by fear, um, killing the nice guy and understanding that and a few other things that'll be in there as well, which should be pretty powerful. So I think I got a couple of spots left. Yeah, cool. So any guys listening that want to get into some men's work, real men's work, you can see Jag stuff at his website or on Instagram. Where should people go? Insta's better, which is uh, Pure Jaguar, P-U-R-E Jaguar. Yeah. And I'll have it in the show notes. Is there anything else you want to put out there for people that are listening and like what they're hearing and want to work with you? Relationship stuff. You said you Yeah. Relationships. Yeah. I'm moving big into relationships at the moment because if we look at society has taken an attack on masculinity. So I've been working in that to restore masculinity. They've attacked the family unit. So I want to restore relationships. So men start to move towards marriage and family because marriage and family under God is the most powerful unit there is in our society. That's why they've tried to destroy it. And so I want to restore the internal relationship with couples and restore the relationship they have with each other, help them to restore integrity and then restore the relationship on their own path with God, whatever that looks like for them. Doesn't need, it's not necessarily a religious thing. And to restore a man's masculinity, because when a man's masculinity is solid, the relationship, most of the problems will finish because otherwise the woman's leading the relationship. And if the woman's leading the relationship, it's doomed to fail, doomed to fail. It doesn't mean that women can't be leaders. It's just that it's not really in a relationship. The man leads, the woman follows, not because she's incapable, because that's what the man is supposed to do. Yeah. I mean, you see it all around you. You observe what happens in, in nature. You see it all the time. Yep. All right. Yeah. Cool. That's been a really good chat, man. We started off just chugging through the tattoo thing, but I think we hit a whole bunch of nuggets there at the end that people are going to enjoy chewing on. So we'll leave it for them. I'll yeah, put all your, yeah, yeah, your yeah. info in the show yeah. notes. And yep, yeah, cool. I just appreciate your time, man. It was really good. And I think we should do it again soon, like you said. So there you have it. Chat with Jaguar. You can check his work out or talk to him directly through his Instagram, which is in the show notes. Also, like I mentioned at the start, there's been a lot of conversation, dialogue, sharing between people post these podcasts going up, which has been great. It's been happening at the Podcast with Intention Facebook group. So I invite you to join us there and continue the conversation. Um, the ball's kind of rolling at the moment with interviewing people and, and talking about different things that you want to hear. So any suggestions in terms of artists that you might want me to talk to or topics or themes you want me to open up, with someone the door's open to send suggestions in so i'd love to hear your feedback that's it for this episode talk to you next week